From hook and bullet to policy and science, we're here to discuss and dissect all matters of importance to Montana's rugged landscape and the people and wildlife that call it home. This is Montana Untamed. As we plan and plant our gardens this spring, consider the mountain lion. The stealthy predators are strictly meat eaters, but what and where they kill provides nutrients for the soil and promotes plant growth. It's an odd concept examined in a recent study by the big cat conservation group Pantera. From 2014 to 2018, the group collared 50 mountain lions and tracked them to identify kill sites. Once identified, the researchers collected soil and plant samples, comparing them from the kill site to nearby areas. The results proved what most gardeners already know. Adding nutrients to the soil can boost plant growth. Billings Gazette outdoor editor Brett French uh, recently wrote about this study, and he's with me today. Um, Brett, wh- where, where did they collar these 50 mountain lions um, and conduct this research? Yeah, hey, Tom. It was conducted south of Yellowstone National Park, right outside of Jackson Hole in that Grand Teton area, the Teton Mountains. So some pretty rugged country there. Very good for mountain lion habitat because they like those rocky, uh, high elevation places like that for ambushing their prey. So, uh, you know, the research was conducted, you know, in, in Wyoming is my understanding, and so it's kind of my guess is is the idea is that this is relevant to the species across the west but like you said mountain lions are known to be ambush predators so what were they feeding on uh in the teton area is it similar to what they would be feeding on elsewhere in you know western mountain states for sure yeah everything from pronghorn, which we wouldn't think of as being up in those mountainous areas. So obviously they came down lower at some times to hunt. And uh, also everything from moose to mule deer, white-tailed deer. Um, and what they also didn't record uh, were kill sites where they would hunt uh, beavers, smaller mammals like that, uh, marmots. I know uh, in Yellowstone National Park, they actually documented where a uh, mountain lion was killed going after a marmot on a rock slide and the rock slide shifted and killed the lion. Mm. So they're not above going for those small meals too. So <clears throat> one of, one of the, one of the cool things out of the study was discovering how much, you know, a mountain lion consumes how did researchers creatively frame that amount? Yeah, I think that was pretty interesting and creative on their part to compare it. Uh, so on average, the lions were eating or making a kill about 54 times a year. So almost once a week or more. And that's been documented in other studies, too. And like in Yellowstone, the females will kill uh, prey more often probably because they have kits, kittens to feed than the males do. Males will often kill larger prey too. And uh, so 54 times out of a year, uh, one mountain lion's killing over 180 or 1,800 
pounds of meat a year. No, it was 18,000, excuse me. And so when you add up 12 mountain lions in a year, uh, it was about 224,000 pounds of meat that the lions were taking down every year, which interestingly, they only consume about a third of that. So other predators like bears and wolves and coyotes and foxes are also feeding off these kills that the, the mountain lions do. And that 224,000 pounds is equal to about one blue whale. So imagine a blue whale kill site laying in the uh, Teton Mountains. It gives you some idea of how, how much uh, nutrition they're adding to the soil in that area. So you mentioned that there have been uh, previous studies, similar studies conducted on predators. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Yeah, I found another one that was conducted on Isle Royale, which is pretty famous for its wolf pack and also contains moose. And so moose are the prime prey of the wolf pack on Isle Royale. And there they found that uh, kill sites with a large moose could increase the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium in the soil by 600 to 800%. So really a huge boost for plants growing at a kill site. So I'm curious back to this study, this, you know, garden hunter idea. Is it telling us anything we don't already know about how, you know, the life cycle ecosystem works? Or is it just scientifically proving that, um, you know, as you, you know, kill wildlife and their remains, um, degrade into the soil it becomes beneficial for the plant life like is was there a discovery here or was this just you know adding scientific backing to an idea i think what it does is really quantify how much it contributes and how the plants benefit and i think interestingly too it it documents how these sites not only because uh, they're good kill sites and, you know, they're kind of lions are loyal to these these areas. So you might have several generations of lions coming back to these same areas, but also how uh, the prey might come back to these same areas and why, because the plants are going to be more nutritious. And as we know, with uh, studies of migration, uh, elk, deer, pronghorn, they're always chasing that green wave in the spring as things green up going up to uh, the higher elevations, they'll travel. They're always looking for that most nutritious food. So it's going to make sense that they're coming back to these same areas where uh, their forefathers have been killed in the past. It's, I think it's just kind of highlights something that maybe we should know but don't think about in necessarily those terms of this cycle of life yeah that's really great brett i think that really puts it into perspective what this you know research tells us about you know the balance of ecosystems and it's kind of crazy to think about the idea that like our gardens at home you know attract deer um almost like a mountain lion is inadvertently gardening to bring deer back into the area too. But, you know, with all of these wildlife studies, it always seems like there's some bit of technology involved that is maybe new to the scene or hasn't been used in this way before. So I'm curious, um, 
can you talk about a little bit how technology maybe played into this study? I think it's another great example of how collaring animals can really shed so much light on where they go, how much time they spend in areas, how they move across the landscape. We're really discovering from these GPS collars that send out signals uh, quite frequently so they can, scientists can track animals, how they use the landscape. And in this study, when the cougars would pause in an area for a while, they would assume that there was a kill site there and then have to hike in and look around to try and find the kill site. And from there, they would be able to take soil samples, plant samples, and kind of mark out the area and come back later. Um, so without that kind of technology, we were really unsure what was going on unless you stumbled upon a kill site. And the same thing goes, I think, too, with the camera trap technology is really fascinating, showing uh, all the different animals that come to these kill sites, the bears and the and the other uh, varmints and stuff. So, uh, plus it captures some great shots of of the animals just being themselves. You know, like the the cougar t uh, tearing into the elk hide. You know, or sometimes it's like eight a family of eight walking up to a kill site or something. It's just reveals these really fascinating interactions that we didn't think about. We used to think lions were pretty solitary, but uh, camera traps have shown some pretty large gatherings and gatherings of different age groups of cats. I'm a little curious uh, if the how detailed their methodology was about like kind of the timing. So if I understand you correctly, they would determine a kill had taken place based on um, a, you know, the lion's uh, time in, you know, being still in one area. Um, did, it, did it say how long they would let those sit before they followed up on them um, and do, and my guess is they followed up on all these kills and that's why we have this detailed account of the variety of species that mountain lions um, are killing? Well, as you know, uh, even as a hunter, when you make a kill, sometimes it can be hard to find an animal that, that goes down on the landscape. And so finding those kill sites, even with um, fairly close GPS coordinates, isn't easy in mountainous terrain. So they would have to wait. Obviously, they don't want to move the cat off the kill site and uh, ruin its, its uh, health and vigor by chasing it off its food source. So they would have to wait before they'd move in. Um, I don't remember the, how long they waited, but yeah, they then they'd have to go in and kind of do like you do or I do when we uh, shoot and something runs off. You start out where you saw it last and, and start making bigger and bigger circles until you, you run across it and hope you find it, which is always, it's amazing to me when you, in that kind of situation, how hard it can be sometimes to find something that you know is right there. Yep. Yep. I have been there uh, looking for tiny little specks of blood when the buck is 20 yards away from me. You yeah. have no idea it's there. Um, so right. I think that's a good segue into, you know, human hunters. And you noted in the story that, you know, some humans are garden hunters as well. Uh, explain that idea. 
Yeah, it just kind of occurred to me as I'm reading through this study that, wow, that's, you know, using a food plot to attract a prey species is, is something that some hunters in the Midwest on corn fields do. Uh, in the East, you know, deer will be attracted to acorn trees or oak trees and the acorns that fall off of them. Uh, there's a lot of advertisements for clover that people plant clover plots. And anybody that's driven around uh, Montana knows that alfalfa fields, you'll just see deer pour into those in the evening and in the morning. So uh, yeah, it really seems like we've adapted the, the same strategies of finding where the animals are going to go to feed and either setting up a, a blind or uh, hide, you know, a natural blind or even a tree stand to stake out the paths to and from those areas to, to hunt food. And of course, uh, you know, bear hunting in some states, not in Montana, people set out caches of treats or i've heard of strange things like donuts with bacon grease on them to to attract bears and to to kill sites so it's not uh, that odd to think of plant life attracting in a prey animal to, to for a predator yeah and i mean you know something we do here in montana is you know both in the private and in the state government realm is develop habitat and food sources for upland game birds i mean you drive by any pheasant preserve you know a privately operating pheasant preserve and they've got the food sources out there they've got the the proper habitat and the shelter belts and i mean you drive by some of our wmas and the state has done the same thing like freeze out for example you know they've developed that as you know good habitat for upland game birds um so yeah, do you, do, good points. Yeah. Do you have any raise crops and just leave them there for the pheasants? Right, right. Um, do you have any final thoughts about you know what this? I feel like your your observation of humans as garden hunters might be your your final thoughts on this study, but I, I figure I'd give you the opportunity before we wrap up. I just think uh, respect for these predators is pretty important. I seen videos of mountain lions dragging a full uh, size elk uphill, you know, they're, they're not that big an animal. They're not much bigger than us. A male, you know, maybe 150, 160 pounds for a big male, but they're just so incredibly strong. And whenever I'm hunting and see a cat track, my hair kind of goes up on the back of my neck. I've had one encounter with a lion when I was hunting, I thought it was a, a fawn coming up through the trees because all I could see was low growth. And I could see this brown moving through the trees. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a pretty small deer. Do I want, you know, should I wait and see if it's got a doe or I don't want to shoot a fawn? And I'm standing there kind of looking and as it comes closer. It's, it's a mountain lion. And it's interesting, just the weak before I had written a story about a mountain lion who had followed a young boy over in the Anaconda area and frightened him so much that he turned around and, and shot it. And so I had that in the front of my mind as this lion stepped out into the opening and we locked eyes and I raised my rifle up uh, thinking, you know, two leaps and that thing's on me if it wants to be. And I thought when it 
locked eyes with me too, that it would be, you know, kind of like, Oh, where did you come from? Or, you know, that it would kind of, uh, have show some kind of reaction to me showing up there where maybe it thought I wasn't going to be, but it, it just looked at me coolly. Like, yeah, uh, I don't care. You're here. And kind of almost upset, you know, that it had to change its route turned and, and walked away <laughs> because it had probably scented the same elk that I had been tracking through that area earlier. And so, yeah, I just think that's, uh, more insight into these animals is just pretty fascinating because they are so unusual to have encounters with in the in the wild. Uh, I mean, I've been hunting, you know, 40 some years and that's the only one I've ever seen. Yep, I I only have one one other one mountain lion sighting in all my time hunting and it was not nearly as intimate at yours. Um, just caught a little bit of movement out of the corner of our eye and at about 200 yards away, this mountain lion was just slinking away, walking across. I, I mean, it was so cool because it was a bunch of, de- a bunch of deadfall and it never even touched the ground. It went from one tree to the next tree. It just, hmm. it just, it just glided through the country. I mean, we, we were drenched in sweat climbing over deadfall and had only made it, you know, maybe a half a mile in an hour. And this thing covered hundreds of yards in seconds, just so yeah, no, certainly, certainly, uh, awesome critters to have out there. Um, and thanks for coming on this week, Brett, as always. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Montana Untamed is a podcast from the newsrooms of Lee Enterprises' Montana newspapers. Visit any of our websites or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.